2: Hey everybody, I'm here to spread a little holiday cheer to each and every one of you. Today's guest is Sean Harris, lead vocalist for the Oakland, California band, The Matches. Together, Sean and I break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind their 2003 single, December is for Cynics, taken from the compilation album, A Santa Cause, It's a Punk Rock Christmas. It was awesome catching up with Sean. We last saw each other around 15 years ago while on tour together, and it was like we didn't miss a beat, picking up right where we left off. He shares the story of working at a brand new studio with a new producer, and how this helped shape the overall vibe of the song. I'm not even sure Sean realized how many different parts and layers were going on in this song until I started dissecting it. It takes you on a ride from note one until the end. The lyrics are cynical and admittedly pompous in parts, which I feel give the song a charm all its own. And how do you go from talking about ugly holiday sweaters and mocking people singing Christmas carols to referencing John Lennon's ghost and backwards messages from the Beatles? Well, somehow the matches did. For all this and a bottle of NyQuil, stay tuned.
3: Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast.
2: Hey, hey, have you heard? Christa makes a podcast hey hey have you heard kri makes a podcast what's up Sean hi Chris it's been a minute
1: <laughs> yeah I think maybe we last played a show in San Francisco at a venue that's I don't think exists anymore
2: yeah and would that have been around 0607? yeah that sounds about right and who were we on the road with i know we did it was a, it was a tour together i don't think it was an, a one-off show was it? it was it was a couple shows i thought
1: yeah i think it was a few shows was it goldfinger or were you
2: did we do a few shows with goldfinger i i man it's it's so many moons ago between us i don't even remember yeah 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 anyway but we we, yeah. we have we have played together we have history and uh how how are you what's been going on uh pretty oh, oh man since 2007, <laughs> since two, yeah. Since I last talked to you, just get, let's go. Yeah, let's do the rundown by the year. <laughs> you got one minute condensed version, then we'll jump in here.
1: All right, let's go. I, uh, I, uh, the, 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 the matches went on hiatus. I moved to Australia, where they still had record deals, um, and then uh, this is when everything went to streaming. Uh, signed a record deal over there with a band called Maniac. Came back here, moved into, got married, moved into an airstream. Uh, For two and a half years, traveled around the country in that, looking for where we wanted to live, uh, me and my wife and my dog, and then uh, uh, ended up in Joshua Tree. The matches did a reunion, uh, moved up back kind of close to home in the Bay Area where I live now in Half Moon Bay. 20 seconds. 20 seconds left. Uh, It put out, you know, started five (laughs) bands since then, but like, you know, the matches are still if I ever want anybody to actually listen to what I'm doing, still get together with them once in a while. <laughs> That's it.
2: <laughs> That's awesome, man. So you're, you are in California now? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, that was, uh, I don't know if I could have done the last 14 <laughs> years that quickly. Good job. It's been pretty Good boring. So, you uh, know. <laughs> well, I, I want to give the listeners a, a little backstory on you guys. And uh, and then I want to say a couple things about your band and about you in particular. The matches formed in Oakland, California in 1997. Their debut album Yvonne Dahl Killed the Locals was self-released in 2003 and then re-released on Epitaph Records when they signed the following year. So, my uh, trusted producer Chris Fellios uh, had written in the notes it was this is around the first time that he personally Uh, heard the matches because punchline Chris's band was on a comp with you guys called a Santa cause it's a punk rock Christmas that was released by immortal records in 2003 I believe immortal was a was an epic records imprint Uh, the comp also had blink-182 newfound glory the boss tones mxpx acceptance fallout boy and a bunch of other bands but the matches song stuck out to Chris because it was so unique and to this day it's his personal favorite Christmas song which is the song that uh, that we are going to talk about today, which is December is for Cynics. Uh, your second <laughs> album, Decomposer, came out in 2006. The album was recorded in various studios with nine different producers. That's that's insane. Uh, including Mark Hoppus, Brett Gurowitz, Nick Hexham, John Feldman, and Tim Armstrong. That record peaked at number 18 on the Billboard's Independent Albums chart. And You guys did a bunch of touring in support of the record, including several tours of Australia, uh, Europe, three Warp Tours, and it was around that time that, uh, that we had hooked up and, and and done some shows, Less Than Jake, with the matches. Yep. The band released Abandoned Hope, in in 2008 which was uh, once again a collaboration with several different producers and then as you said you guys went on hiatus around 2009 but have reunited several times for shows and tours to celebrate anniversaries uh of your albums and something really cool that chris uh had told me about recently was there was a documentary uh, about the band called bleeding audio uh i have not seen it yet I, i've been meaning to tune in uh it premiered at film festivals in 2020 and chris said that it that, that it's awesome
1: oh cool yeah it, it's uh kind of harrowing watching yourself on a big screen in front of people we did we went to two premieres it kind of like bookended the the stay at home orders from the pandemic like the very last thing that we did was play the premiere in san diego and then just like stayed home for a year and a half and then uh we recently uh went to a follow-up in in-person premiere at the man's chinese down in uh or, or is it called no grauman's chinese down in uh, theater down in yeah. los angeles so that was a weird span where it's kind of still premiering because of this weird rollout, but.
2: <laughs> and how did that come about? Was this something that the band had spearheaded or was this like a super fan that came and said, hey, I wanna do a documentary, I love your band.
1: Kind of somewhere in between. <laughs> there was a filmmaker who shot us for, she was like a student filmmaker uh, back in the, in the two, early 2000s. She shot um, like a mini doc about the band and actually, as it turned out, she ended up dating and then marrying our bass player. <laughs> so uh, she okay. uh, she's great. Her names her her name's
2: Chelsea Kristur. Keeping it in the family.
1: Yeah, she's 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 great. But um, she has all the access that she wants at this point. <laughs> she married into the access. But um, yeah, she was kind of shooting that stuff before I, then. I would too. say
2: so. And. <laughs> <laughs> and have you found it's it's so interesting because, yeah, you guys have reunited and done some some reunions and whatnot, but yeah. and, and, and you celebrate some anniversaries of albums. But f- have you found that the documentary has has kind of brought forth some new fans that maybe hadn't heard you the first go around?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's yeah. During the premieres, the audiences were kind of at the festival. The audiences were kind of split like matches, fans and uh, just sort of people that were there for the film festival. So it was funny being introduced to not grown-up kids (laughs) i mean i guess we're all grown-up kids but you can you can like spot you you could definitely spot the sides of the room it was almost like like going to a uh it was almost like going to a sports event where like half of the crowd is wearing one set of color and and the other half is wearing another colorway you could like really see who was who had been to warp Tour before and who hadn't.
2: <laughs> it's funny you should say that because I, I played a festival recently where I looked out in the audience. I'm like, man, these people look old. And then I said to myself, if they look that old to me, how old do I look to them? Because <laughs> they're younger than me. I'm like, damn it. Um, uh, you know, I remember the time period well. When you guys got signed, you know, we were doing uh, a record out in L.A. And Brett Gurowitz was is really good friends of Rob Cavallo, who was doing our record. And I remember when Brett signed you, I remember him telling me, he said, this is the best band I've ever signed. And, you know, I've 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 told people uh, over the years and and I'm going to choose my my words carefully here because, you know, I, I, I don't this is just my opinion, but. I don't say it to make you feel like, Oh, the, the coulda, woulda should have been, but your band was, was amazing. You in particular, I told people, uh, there's, there's an it factor. There's a star factor and and you had it, you have it, you know, I used to, I used to have, no, (laughs) (laughs) when you would hit the stage and, and, uh, you were a great front man. The band was great. You guys were all rippers and, uh, you know, it was, I, have talked about your band over the years, probably, I don't know, uh, I got th- three or four bands that I, I just think that uh, that that should have had more success. Whatever your definition of success is, but I think you guys should have should have been way more way more well known. Just an amazing band.
1: That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. I, I w- I'm definitely the worst musician um, in the band, so I guess that if I'm giving away my secrets, that's what it is.
2: <laughs> what do you think it was with you guys? Because I I kind of have a theory. I I almost feel like. You know, you, you were somewhere between you, you had enough and I, I hate using this as a generic term, but you had enough pop punk about you to kind of be included in that world. But yet you were you were just a little bit too avant garde for those folks, your, your approach to your your rhythms and. Just this track in particular is just all over the place. It's insane. This song has so (laughs) much, so much to talk about, you know? And uh I feel like you may have been a little highbrow for some people.
1: Yeah, maybe so I don't know. I'm I'm uh I'm I'm just like in general a music fan. We would go to warp tour and then like the next night like go see like michael mannering play jazz bass at yoshi's or whatever like uh-huh. we would like we were equal parts like warp tour kids and uh just fans of ever, any music we could get our hands on so i think that kind of became that kind of showed itself through the music but um you can't do it alone so we got enough support from the punk rock community to like you know get the epitaph deal and to go on tour with a lot of amazing bands um from from the scene. But then like, you know, I think we were also eclectic enough to like make sense on tour with ska bands, some metal bands, some Screamo bands, some pop punk bands. So we kind of got to split the difference and like do all the tours. We didn't really make sense perfectly on any tour we ever did, but um uh-huh. But we did get to tour a lot which was fun and we got to meet a lot of great people and i love every genre so yeah
2: <laughs> well i and it's cool that you you use the word uh, jazz a moment ago to describe because uh there are jazz elements within this song there's a part in, in this track that's just it's so above what <laughs> my, my band or a lot of the bands were doing back then just the level of musicianship with, with your band is it's incredible you know and this song I gotta ask who produced this track because I couldn't find it online because this song is not on any of your records it, it's considered a, a Christmas uh-huh. song because it was on that comp but this is anything but a Christmas song to me or, or a holiday song this song could have fit in nicely on a record who was the producer and, and what was the reason for not including it on a full-length the because this song's amazing
1: yeah this one uh was produced by mike green some of his like most well-known stuff he did a bunch of stuff for paramore back in the day he did all-time low look him up you'll find a bunch of records you recognize he was a guy in a local band in the bay area they were called the stone uh which i think is a simpsons reference um and he was just this like this savant incredible lead guitar player in kind of a mediocre local band but he was also a studio nerd and just like had had all this gear and was really eager to experiment with it so uh we recorded half of our first record ivan Dahl killed the locals um with him we actually rec- and he he produced some songs on all on all three of our records so yeah we kind of had an ongoing production relationship with him um even when we started working with other producers he was becoming a bigger name producer at the time himself and he still does it to this day
2: so you you guys as a band kind of just felt that this track was just going to be beyond the comp it didn't it wasn't worthy or you didn't want to include it on a record or we got asked to do
1: it for the comp and i as i recall some of the songs on the comp were Oh, i think a lot of them were covers some of them were originals it was the option of like anything kind of Christmas or New Year's related or Hanukkah related or whatever, you know, that part of the season related, um, feel free to like throw your hat in the ring. And yeah, we heard, we heard some of the other bands that were going to be included. And we were like, I think this is worth like, I think we should go to the studio. There wasn't like, I think there was just a flat rate for being involved, whether you had already recorded the song or not, but, uh, but we were in the studio with Mike already. And we were like, Hey, can we like, get a little deal to do a do a bonus track do one extra you know how those things go and you, you never know how they're going to turn out but um i was excited to try to write an original and uh and it worked out yeah
2: <laughs> well this song is just and i want to know you 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 had mentioned before you said i'm the least uh, talented member of, of the band i think you're being a little little hard on yourself there but with that said musically
1: speaking when you're talking about like jazz things (laughs) happening and like polyrhythms and stuff that's the other guys yeah
2: (laughs) well well that's what i was gonna ask so is is your hand in this song lyrics and melody or did you have any anything to do with the music or was the music brought to you from someone in the band
1: with the matches i generally come in with a dumb guitar part that's easy to play on an acoustic that i write to that we end up throwing out and completely replacing with other parts that we come up with together but that serves as just the kind of like the demo here's how the chord structure works um and oftentimes we don't we don't even just like use the chords but they're a good guide on what everybody like what scales everybody will play at certain times or whatever Mm -hmm. um so that part is all collaborative but yeah i'll come in with a song that i can just kind of like ham fist out on an acoustic guitar that has the vocal melodies and lyrics and general chord structure yeah
2: and, and do you remember the writing process with this one how did how to, how to go down
1: i remember recording it better than i remember writing it honestly mike green had this studio in north hollywood uh that he was just setting up and it was just this big empty kind of loft space there was crazy reverbs all around it i think it must have been like it was like a hanger it It was like but not fancy it was it was kind of a mess and sort of bad for recording i remember we would make these like little spaces like there was like a hallway that had carpet in it so we would that would be like the dry room and we would just like hang bed sheets around it like he hadn't set up the studio yet he just got it (laughs) and it was a huge space and he had no money because he was just starting and had just moved to la from from the bay area to to do this professionally um so yeah, we were kind of his guinea pigs in that studio. And he was like using this song because we, it, we weren't paying him much. He was using this song as sort of like a way of testing out the space and getting things to sound and not terrible. So I remember experimenting a lot. And then we did use the big hangar room for like, I don't remember what exact reverbs we used in there, but we were like... Using like the sounds all around this place and just testing out mics in different places, which was really fun.
2: Was this track to Pro Tools? Uh, I think he was on at that point.
1: He's on Pro Tools now, I'm sure, but he was on like Cakewalk, I think, at that time, okay. which was uh, okay. a, 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 what do you what do you call it? A um, d-a-w it was a yeah it was a a daw like that i don't think exists
2: anymore (laughs) for the the listeners a daw is a digital audio workstation so he wasn't using pro tools but he but he but he was recording digitally he could chop parts up and move them around
1: yeah we were we were playing with chopping yeah yeah, you're hearing a little bit of that too um with how the song is kind of stitched together yeah
2: I kind of thought that it was it was recorded digitally and it wasn't uh, done to tape but I, but I had to ask and what was Mike's role in this song because man I gotta tell you, this this song was brought to my attention about a year ago Chris has been wanting to get you on the show for for a while now we, we both have and I heard this song and I was like what did I just hear it's it's so it's, it's so eclectic and so like the, the parts rarely happen twice in this song and how did this? get off the, the the ground floor like you presented the idea you you had your your uh i don't know what term you use was it lumpy uh, acoustic guitar chords or whatever you bring into the band <laughs> yeah, and all of a sudden all of a sudden <laughs> all of a sudden it turns into the, how did it get to this part and, and what was mike's role in that
1: like i said he was uh, he was trying to figure out what parts of his studio sounded good and what parts of it sounded bad and what you know like it trying to figure out a bunch of gear that he had just bought or borrowed and all this stuff. So <laughs> it was like, you know, sometimes you walk into it, you go to a studio and it's, you know, you've paid for a certain amount of time and you're like, oh man, we got to get it done by six o'clock tomorrow. Otherwise we're over budget or whatever, you know, like there are those situations in studios. And this was not that this was very much like we're already working on a couple things and we were, and and our producer was like, okay, now let's try it over here. Now let's try it over here and not charging us extra for that, um, which led to being able to experiment with like a lot of different sounds and a lot of different things. I, I like I remember there's like a there's like a jangly like arpeggio thing that that John Devoto, our lead guitar player, does at a certain point in the song. And I like kind of vividly remember them being in like the big open room and like playing around with that part of the song. And I remember like walking in the room and being like, I don't even know where rhythmically this goes in the song like are they playing the same <laughs> song that i brought in like i remember the, and then like justin's bass part is like similarly doing a lot of like crazy walking around into like the sort of jazzy way and i, I remember at certain times being like
2: are they working on the same song I brought in? Um, yeah, well, we're going to we're going to we're going we're gonna to get to that guitar part <laughs> okay, you're talking cool. about. And, and, and it's so <laughs> funny. It's so funny that you you talk about being the guinea pigs and he's trying to experiment in this new room. He just moved down from the Bay Area. He's trying to figure out his studio and figure out, you know, what sounds good, where the mics, where the sweet spots are. Yeah, that is so evident now when I listen to this song, because, man, there's like. 30 riffs in this yeah, thing there's, totally <laughs> there's parts coming in and out it's it's very I'll, I'll use the word schizophrenic it's kind of all over the place for sure. but it works but it works it's such a it's it's such a cool piece of music uh the song is three minutes and 29 seconds for the first three seconds of the song there's like this octave just this cool octave guitar sound and at the four second mark you let out this like ah this like soft shriek <laughs> I put my notes. Like like ah like what I don't even really know what you're saying there. But it's cool. The five second mark, there's this chugging guitar that's swirling between the speakers and uh, then there's a guitar lick that's panned left and a guitar lick that's panned right that almost sounds like a keyboard Uh, this is happening while the drums and the bass are holding down this killer groove and that guitar off to the right I don't know if that's the one you're talking about, it's kind of like this arpeggiated thing, it almost sounds like something out of a horror movie, like Halloween or something you know, and I'm like this is supposed to be a cheerful holiday song, this sounds eerie as hell
1: Yeah, I think there's a there's a kind of a there's a nice tradition of like ghosts and horror seeping into uh, into the Christmas holiday. You know, we kind of like start to get stoked for the holidays when when Halloween hits sort of like marks the beginning of holiday season. And then and I love and I love the like entertainment that that, you know, like Christmas Carol and or, and, and and like Nightmare Before Christmas, how that how just the holiday just kind of that season just sort of rolls into this one thing. So yeah, there is a little horror in there.
2: Well, and and the, the, the just the first 24 seconds of this song is just like what am I hearing and where is this going? And then all of a sudden you're into verse 1 at the 25 second mark.
3: Black frames to stare out my slang to wear out. squares in sweaters, Oh, ho, ho, we're so much better.
2: I'm going to read out these lyrics and, and and I want you to decipher these for me and tell me what's going on. Sure. Black frames to stare out mod lang slang to wear out scoff at squares and sweaters ho 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 we're so much better <laughs> <laughs> what's going on in your sick twisted uh, mind sean yeah
1: i've got a little i've got a little bit of a bit of that mike park i missed the bus energy <laughs>
2: but <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't have put those two two uh analogies <laughs> together but okay no, i mean
1: uh mod lang was a was a record store a record store that i shopped at in uh in high school and the staff there they were older than me they were cooler than me they were like college kids and and maybe there was like an aspirational like oh, when i when i get older i want to be cool kind of thing that happened when i would walk into that store i think that's why i dropped like i think it's also a truncation of modern language um so modern language slang or whatever but i was thinking about the record store i was thinking about the kids that worked at the record store how i wanted to grow up and be one and how i also like hated them and so this whole thing this whole this whole song is, <laughs> is, is just sort of like sort of a parody of not necessarily myself but kind of who i wanted to who i wanted to be i mean it's kind of i i find it like I find it's kind of easiest to make fun of uh, myself lyrically and I do so whether I want to or not. I just like the recipe for being embarrassed by something that I write is just like, Tell the truth, tell all of it, and then like wait four years, and then everything that I thought was cool about it is going to be embarrassing. So that's sort of what's happening in the
2: entirety of this song. <laughs> well, I, I like a good self-deprecating <laughs> lyric. I'm a, I'm a sucker for that. Now, the scoff at squares and sweaters—is that you scoffing at them, or are you making an observation, or are they scoffing at you and everybody else that's walking into the store because they're better than you?
1: No, it, I was thinking of Christmas sweaters, and I at this point, like, we were—I was still living in my parents' house. I was like, "You know me and, my, me and me and my friends were we were like starting bands and trying to get into art school and stuff like that and 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 you know the the romance of the holidays was sort of a rote thing that our that our parents did now here's the the footnote is that i I love the holidays, and I love romance and and I was going through a fuck this phase, but I knew that it wasn't going to age well, <laughs> and so I was just writing a song. In the moment, sort of making fun of my friends or who I thought I wanted to be or something like that. Um, I I think it's just in general, at that age especially, it felt smart to be critical of something. So being critical, being critical of the holiday season felt fun and smart. But also, just to tear something down and to be a critic is just sort of a a lame, boring thing to do, and it's not creative, and it's actually not it's not greatness and it's not very smart. <laughs> so.
2: Well, that's what, I'm t- say, that's what I am love about doing this podcast. Cause you could have told me 30 things of what this was about. And uh, you know, it's, it, I'm looking at these lyrics going, where is he coming from, from this? And and, and it, it's great. This first verse here, the bass and the drums throughout, uh, the bass is not staccato like the intro it's moving. I, I, I wrote like in a circular fashion. It's kind of yeah. like doing this round, round interplay. It, it's awesome. Uh, on the word scoff, there's this like, slap echo that goes from left to right real quick remember what that was that's my green right there yeah that's yeah. my okay so that's, yeah. that's something the producer came with okay yep. cool it's a it's just a little little cool uh cool piece of uh, ear candy there I like that and there's a double vocal or I don't know if it's two backing vocals on the ho 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 part. That's the first time you hear more than one vocal there. And was 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 there a reason that you stuck that there? Was that Mike's suggestion or do you recall? As much as possible. I mean, as much as possible,
1: especially thinking about when you're writing a song, thinking about how it's going to translate on stage, you just know the parts where the other guys in the band step up to the mic are exciting and fun on stage both visually yeah. from the audience and it also tends to be those tend to be lines that the crowd will be like oh everyone on stage is singing i'll do it too so part of like the experience of thinking about what this is going to be like playing it live kind of changes the way you approach the vocal arrangements especially i think
0: hey everybody don't you dare go anywhere there's lots more Chris to makes a podcast after these messages from our sponsors each week on the one hit thunder podcast we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a one hit wonder artist with us and together we decide if that artist brought the one hit thunder or was nothing more than a one hit blunder you can find one hit thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts so hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun each week and now back to the show
2: another reason I asked about uh, digital recording pro tools was mm-hmm. th- this is the first time the backing vocals and it's throughout the song that they're, they're off time. The vocals, they're, they're kind of disjointed and I know that's on purpose. They weren't lined up perfectly and it kind of gives you this kind of ragtag feel, you know, yeah. and that made me go, wait a second. I wonder if this wasn't lined up cause they, they, you know, they were doing a tape, but it was, it was too off. It was, it, it sounded on purpose mm-hmm. uh, at the 34 second mark. I'm not going to call this pre-chorus one. This part's so bizarre. I, I'm calling this interlude one because after the, the second verse, another interlude happens. I've never used the term interlude on this show before, maybe even ever in my life when describing uh, songs. But this uh, at 34 seconds, this interlude between verse one and verse two, there's like the drums break down and the guitar brings in a brand new feel while the vocals are doing these kind of whoa, 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 woes how did you write this part like melody wise like where where did this come from (laughs) sometimes i I look too linear at songs and i have to step back but but this is just like where did this come from sure
1: uh I, i always think of all the who's down in whoville during this part let me sing it.
3: Welcome, Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, the the song didn't want to go into chorus yet we'll get to the chorus in in after yeah. the next verse but i've been fairly wordy so far so it needed a break sometimes you look to like a guitar solo and sometimes you just kind of make a musical interlude and i guess we were all we were all feeling it um so yeah john kind of comes in with something different and yeah we orchestrated the vocals to do something different too yeah
2: it's awesome and you know at the 44 second mark you're now in verse two the lyric is used as the new black downloads are the new crack mocking carols that we hate damn it's easy being great
1: yeah <laughs> that's i mean the the line that's like the biggest cringe in the whole song but also like heart of the whole song is damn it's easy being great and it's so funny you know we'll we'll still play this song in the holiday season like for our reunion stuff and it's so funny seeing that that i i'm just like i hope everybody knows like this isn't like uh <laughs> this is a parody <laughs> 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 i hope that they don't see us on stage going like damn we are the
2: shit
1: you know it's 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 funny but it it had to be in here it's the heart of the song too
2: so yeah no it's awesome the drums and the bass are holding down the same groove as verse one but yet another guitar pattern is introduced here you know that that interlude number one you never hear that again in the song and now this guitar pat this guitar pattern now comes in in verse two and on the mocking carols that we hate just on that one line an octave guitar comes in here, kind of swirling left and right and back and forth. Do you recall? Was was again something Mike brought in, or or someone else in the band? Like, why just that one line, and why that octave guitar there? Which is is awesome, though.
1: I know. I'm I'm trying to think of like a lot of times when I when I write a song, I'll and I bring it to the band. I have a couple. Uh, I have a couple comps like I can I will have been listening to a certain band and I'll be like I'm thinking kind of like this meets this you know I honestly don't remember when you're doing a song basically for a comp you that's why this wasn't on a record well like when you're doing a song for a comp there's nothing to lose in being really creative it, like in like you know, stepping out on the edge and trying new things because it's not going to go on your album. It would, it, honestly, like if you're not the best, if you don't have the best song on a comp, people just skip your song or forget about it. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, it's yeah, not
3: going to be That's, a so, that's so true. Yeah. it's yeah. so true.
1: <laughs> exactly. So why not try stuff? And I remember that being the mentality. So I don't even know if I had, if we were thinking of other bands or things to borrow or if we were just like trying to be weird and experiment. I'm sure there's, I know you mentioned that guitars, like almost sounding like synths sometimes. And that yeah. I can say probably came from, we had just done our first UK tour and that band Muse was, uh oh, yeah. was getting popular over there, but hadn't hit in the States yet. And we were just like blown away by those, like by how his guitar sounded so weird and metallic and synthy sometimes. So I know John was like, getting into a big news phase there
2: well and that totally makes sense with what you were saying too that you're you're, you're able to experiment this is just going on a comp if no one yeah, likes it we'll just exactly because exactly. this is one of the more this is one of the more adventurous songs to me in your catalog at the 54 second mark we're at interlude number two Okay, not gonna call this a pre-chorus. I call this the 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 next interlude. Drums are doing the same feel as interlude number one, but very soft on the on the kick and the ride cymbal. The guitar is doing yet another counter melody, another part, and there's this like la da 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 part vocally that's happening here. Then the band swells and stops abruptly before we're into chorus one. So to hell
3: with holiday romantics. December is for cynics. December is for critics. Let's get high on our supplies and hibernate. December is for cynics. Damn, it's too easy being great.
2: <laughs> so to hell with holiday romantics. December is for cynics. December is for critics. Let's get high on art supplies and hibernate. December is for cynics. Damn, it's too easy being great. You get that lyric in again there. (laughs) And there's harmonies on everything uh, here, but they're very disjointed, as I mentioned. And and I I wrote in my notes, it almost feels like a a campfire sing-along. You know, yeah. you're kind of getting with, getting with your friends it it, it or a holiday sing along. It has that vibe to it. It's, it's disjointed, but not in a bad way where you get a, a a horrible band that can't play and like, oh, this sounds terrible. It, it, this was meant to be, obviously it, it's perfectly disjointed. I, I just, I think it's awesome. Again, there's a brand new feel here. It doesn't follow your traditional drum pattern of, of what you would consider. The drums are doing this just kick and, and, and snare. It, it's, it's really interesting. And, uh. How did that come about?
1: Well, first of all, like the gang vocals of the chorus was another, uh, was us thinking about, hey, when we play this live, like this should be fun. And this feels like it wants to be a sing along. Isaac, I want to say that some of the guys from Over It might have uh, been starting to work with Mike Green, and we met them somewhere around that time. And I think they came in the studio and sang these gang vocals with us. So you get that you get that feeling of you know when you want to do a gang vocal but every and, and like half of the room doesn't quite know the part? Yeah. And it ends up sounding kind of perfect. Like it's like everyone's sort of a little like, is this, am I doing it right? Is that the rhythm? Is that the note? Um, and, you, and it really like thickens up a gang vocal better than like if everybody was well practiced on a part. So yeah. sometimes it's like yeah. an asset to do a gang vocal with strangers or people that haven't heard the song basically. So,
2: yeah. And what, what are you, getting that lyric in again here, damn, it's too easy being great. And you say it's too easy here. Not just it's easy being great. Uh, bringing <laughs> bringing that lyric back and, and and set up set up these lyrics for us here in the chorus. If you
1: hadn't like gotten sort of the the theme of the too cool art school narrator me yet by this point, like this is I guess the chorus is just sort of the cliff notes on uh, yeah. Screw, screw the holidays. This is going on a holidays. Uh, On a a holidays uh, compilation, we're going to be the song that's like, screw this. Yeah.
2: At the end here, at the end of the chorus, where, damn, it's too easy being great on great, there's this hi hat, delayed, weird thing off to the left. It's just like this. Yeah. Yeah. It just happens for a second. It's too easy being great. And then there's like feedback and. I tried to Google this, Sean. I don't know. And maybe Chris can chime in here. What's it called when you take, I'll grab Uh, my guitar, uh when you take, you know what I'm going to talk about. I know what you're talking about. I don't know what this is called. When you hit this part of your guitar up by the neck. Yep. That's
1: what, that's what it
2: is right there. It's a, it's a pick rake. And that's, that's there. And that,
1: is that what it's called? Is it called a pick
2: rake? That's what I just called it. (laughs) I don't know. I think you're recording it here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that that comes in there, and just that tonality, that what I just played, that sounds eerie in and of itself. It kind of kind of sounds spooky and, and horror movie ish. Sure. So yeah, yeah. That part comes in with a hi hat and then the feedback, and we transition into verse number three, uh, which we're only at a minute and twenty nine seconds in the song, and you've been hit with a ton of information by this point, a ton of parts, and on this particular line. I feel like you were channeling Jello Biafra here almost.
3: I brought you a bottle of wine, full of flowers, at this vinyl. I know we both made it clear no stupid presents this year. But-
2: You got like a little Dead Kennedys vibe going on. You say, I brought you a bottle of wine full of flowers and this vinyl. I know we both made it clear. No stupid presents this year. But Snopes.com said if you play Strawberry Fields the wrong way, you can hear Lennon's ghost say. And... We're not going to go any further right now. I want you to set sure. up set up those lyrics there and, and talk to me about uh, channeling Jello on those first two lines. Was that subconscious, or were you were you a DK fan, or that just happened th- that way?
1: Yeah, I like the Dead Kennedys. I I uh, I don't know the reference that I'm referencing at this point, but I might have been. <laughs> What's the Dead, <laughs> Dead Kennedys reference?
2: <laughs> well, it's the first two lines. It was just your vocal delivery of how you sang it. Oh, you of kind how you sang this, it. Oh, yeah. About it's lir- like lyrically. I brought you about the. It's kind of like the, got vibrato in your voice yeah, that happens yeah, yeah. there.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I love the dead candidates, so that's cool. But I, I, I don't think I was intentionally doing that.
2: <laughs> okay, that's okay. Awesome. I just thought that was really interesting because it was a different personality that comes out on those two lines that really isn't there uh, in the rest of the song. Those two lines in particular, I brought you a bottle of wine full of flowers and this vinyl, those two lines in particular. The bass uh, and the drums are holding down a, a, the groove and the guitar is using like this delay tremolo sound uh and pattern from verse two that 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 has made it back and when we get to the line but snopes.com said if you play and through the rest of the lyrics here in this verse there is a guitar run from the intro that comes in here on the left speaker it's not the spooky riff at the top it's the other riff I was like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. I'm, I'm hearing something that I've heard in the song. So I'm, I'm finally yeah. Hearing, <laughs> yes, yeah. Because up to this point, man, it is just all over the place in a great way. Not in a bad. Not not in a bad way. Do you know what
1: year this comp came out? I looked up when the song came out, and, and uh, the online seems to think when we added this to streaming services is when it came out, which is not the case.
2: It says 2003 on, on Immortal Records, which, uh, as I said earlier, I, I believe was an imprint of Epic Records.
1: I have a theory, and I don't remember this specifically, but 2003 was when Blink-182 put out their untitled record and the first song was "Feeling This. feelin'
3: this, show me the way you move I'm feeling this, it. it's such a boy. And
1: I remember feeling this knocking my socks off in terms of like this patchwork of like the drums are doing one thing and then doing something else. And then the vocals are doing that and a different vocal sound and a different part and a different part. I remember like being really enamored with how that song was like pro tools together basically
2: well i was i was shocked just from the fact i didn't know snopes dot com was around back then i was like jeez they've been around for over almost 20 years like that was that was what really shocked me about that this part
1: yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) um i like dropping that in there it's funny. yeah (laughs)
2: <laughs> and the lyric, I'll read this lyric again Because it leads into the next part um, But Snopes.com said if you play Strawberry Fields the wrong way You can hear Lennon's ghost Say And I don't know if you ever looked up these lyrics online, Sean But uh, it basically, it's your first record Yvonne Dahl killed the locals Your first self-release record That was uh, uh, picked up and re-released by Epitaph It yeah. says it's that backwards Is that what that is there? Lennon's
3: ghost Say Oh, because
2: it's written. It's written backwards here in the the
1: online lyrics. That is it. That's so funny. I thought what I say right after that in the lyrics is the is the Beatles line that is backwards on. I am the walrus. The I buried Paul. So I answer Uh that. You can hear Lennon's ghost say I buried Paul. Which is, was like, you know, just, I don't know. I don't know why I'm putting well, Be- that- Beatles trivia into this song, but that's <laughs> what I'm doing.
2: <laughs> well, well, so, so that backwards line here, which is basically, I guess, Yvonne Dahl killed the locals. You, you, you ran that backwards. It's kind of panned off the left. I and it, <laughs> and it kind of sounds mumbled sounding like, brrr, which, which is warbled because it, because it's backwards. Yeah. It's backwards. Um, and yeah, then, the, yeah. The, then the very next line, you say, I buried Paul. Yeah, how did that come into the, you know the December's for cynics, uh, you know December's for critics. You're you're you don't like the guy at the sweater at the record store. And now you're talking about the Beatles. What what is going on here?
1: I mean, I gotta say that like I like this verse better than verse one. Just as a just my my songwriting brand, I like it when you I like it when a song starts and uh, it kind of like verse one is sort of like establishing, the, oh, here's what we're doing here. There's the thesis for the song and then the chorus hammers it home. And then by verse two, like I got to meander off topic and like maybe I just need to like throw out verse ones and twos and and, ju- and just like just start with <laughs> verse three, have that be verse one and just throw out the nah, first this two is, things this I read. Is going on, this is going on
2: a Christmas comp. People
1: are just going, going to skip on, it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I actually like this one being like, <laughs> being so off. Topic. I, I don't I, like whoever's listening to the song is going to be interpreting these things entirely differently. Like, like you said, like, ah, what the song could have been about 20 things. I had no idea. Like, it doesn't really matter as long as I give you the right, the right feeling and the right mood, like, and there are some cool lines to quote, like, it doesn't need to be so well, I mean, how, how <laughs>
3: many
2: of how many of our favorite songs are the most vague lyric and vague thing ever and they you know that's they right. just resonate they just resonate Th- this song is cool mickey
1: mouse has grown up a cow man
2: <laughs> at one minute and 54 <laughs> seconds we're at chorus number two yeah so
3: now with holiday romantics december is for six.
2: So to hell with holiday romantics. December is for cynics. December is for critics. Let's go buy some takeout and hibernate. December is for critics. Damn, it's too easy being great. So there is a lyrical change here on line four. Let's go buy some takeout and hibernate. I noticed here, Sean, that there's harmonies pretty much throughout but not on certain words. The harmonies were all over chorus number one uh, and the the gang vocal, I guess. But you say, (laughs) so to hell with, and then holiday romantics, there's nothing on there. Do you recall why it was left off and it wasn't like chorus one?
1: That's a good question. my My guess is that
2: you had the channel muted.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be it too. <laughs> could definitely be it. Uh, We've
2: less than Jake's done that before. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, my guess is that John actually might go into a unison part there. It wasn't until kind of like late era the matches. I it might have been even post the matches that I figured out that harmonies are just chords that you're playing with vocals. (laughs)
3: Mm -hmm. So
1: I hadn't realized like quite how to write a harmony. And I don't think John had either. We would just sing stuff and like, you know, there are certain, you can like sing a third and you're like, that sounds good, but it doesn't always sound good. You can't just move a third with the whole thing, you know, like you got to go with the scale, but I hadn't figured out that concept of, of it moving like chords and having to change the, the, the relative, space between notes to stay in the scale hadn't occurred to me yet so when something didn't work oftentimes we would just sing a unison part or something
2: <laughs> I, yeah well and and, some, and sometimes that sometimes that's the only thing that does work yeah you know totally, that's, that, totally. that, that, um you know this this chorus feels like chorus one but the drums are doing completely different fills there's some stuff going on here that's just really really cool uh on the line let's go buy some takeout and hibernate Between the words taken out, there's this crazy drum fill that just doesn't feel like it should work. It's like going off the rails. (laughs) Like, where did that come from? You know, it's not in chorus one. So again talking about digitally recording through pro tools a lot of times you'll paste chorus one of chorus I'm like this isn't the same feel as chorus any of the choruses like what right. the heck is going on here but it but it's so great i like on the last line here damn it's too easy and then being great is just you alone it just gives you that that moment it's just a vocal and now we're into yet another part and this bridge is awesome <laughs> The two minute thirteen second mark. Uh, the drums are broke down, almost a jazzy feel. Here's where it gets jazzy to me. It's, this is a feel that that not a lot of bands we were running with back then could could have had this feel, <laughs> you know. And I hearken back to what Brett said. These guys are rippers. When I first talked to Gurlwitz about you guys, no, he's like, cool. the musicianship is through the roof. And I remember touring with you and watching you side stage. You, you guys were were on fire the guitar is doing like what I call volume swells. It's where like, it sounds like a violin where the, you know, you're turning the, the volume up and down. I don't know if it was that or a volume pedal. That's it's what a, it was. Yeah, really- that's
1: what it was. It was a volume okay. down
2: volume volume it's such a cool effect at the two minute and 23rd second mark there's I don't know if it's like a wah pedal with like a delayed flange guitar off to the left speaker Uh, and then at two minutes and 32 seconds the drums hit a more straightforward groove and the guitar off to the left is doing a high pitched lick while the guitar on the right is playing an octave lower counterpart to that For the next six seconds, from 2.40 to 2.46, there's three stop patterns, you know, where the band's like, you know, digga done, and it happens three times uh, before this cool, fast guitar sweep happens to the left. And a sweep uh, is something like Yngwie Malmsteen does, like, it's like this really fast arpeggio. It's, it, you're like skipping strings, and it's just, I'm like, at this point in the song go, where did this come from? Like, who yeah. thought of this? It's <laughs> off to the left. Um, and that part, When after that happens, it takes us into Chorus 3. But I love this bridge. You, you want to talk about taking you somewhere. This takes you on a little ride. Cool, 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 cool.
1: Thank you. Yeah, uh, I know for the volume the volume pot uh, thing is a trick that I stole from Greg from Zebrahead, uh, the guitar oh, yeah. player from Zebrahead. He, he was great at that. Incredible <laughs> yeah. guitar player. And very innovative. He was like you know, he was like a muse caliber guitar player.
2: <laughs> I think Greg tunes into the show. Sometimes if you're listening, Greg, how you doing, buddy? I miss you. Yeah, Greg, he's he's miss awesome. You
1: awesome. Yeah, he is,
2: he, he is so he's awesome. incredible. And then, and the,
1: yeah, the stuff John is doing is like super Joe Satriani or Iggy or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's <laughs> uh, exactly. And I didn't. Yeah. I didn't even say arpeggiato guitar part because arpeggios to me are kind of like more like like picking. But you can do fast right, super. Yeah, I'm yeah. calling this what we used to call in the '80s a sweep. It's like like whoa, like it's just it came out of nowhere. Uh, and then we're into chorus uh, number three, which is a double chorus here at the end of the song. So- So to hell with holiday romantics, December is for cynics, December is for critics. Harmony is on all of those lines, but it's only drums here. Again, the vocals are not lined up, sounds really disjointed, but really cool. Backyard campfire sing-along. The next line is just a melody. melody, there's no harmony on this. Let's just try to sleep late and hibernate. Yet another lyric, new lyric. December is for Cynics. Damn, it's too easy. Being. You don't say being great. You leave it hanging being. Uh, On that line, it's too easy being. The guitars come back in there. Prior to that, it was just the drums again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it sounds like a fake out almost before you get into the back half of Chorus 3 here. In between... The first half has just drums when it says December is for critics before the new line here, let's just try to sleep late and hibernate. The guitar comes in here for two chords, jing, jing, only.
3: Let's just to sleep late and, and then
2: it goes back to drums, which I thought is w- was really cool. Do you, do you remember that part and how that came about?
1: You know, probably like channeling some Radiohead creep kind of jing, <laughs> jing. To do something, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Those things things are always fun when you're just like, when everybody pauses and something that like shouldn't be that musical happens. (laughs) Those are always like hooks of moments, right?
2: Well, the last uh, half of Chorus 3 here, the back half. So to hell with holiday romantics. December is for cynics. December is for critics. Let's get by on NyQuil and hibernate. I love that line. Uh, (laughs) December is for cynics. Damn, it's too easy being great. On the last line here, there's harmonies throughout everything I just read, even on the word damn, but then there's no harmony on it's too. And that's the last you hear of the rhythm section, the band going dun dun. And then it's just you alone, Sean, saying easy being great. And that's how the song ends. Another little haunting uh, sprinkle on top of this already uh, haunting uh, holiday song. <laughs> yeah, sugar cookie it. Yep. <laughs> what was your reaction when you first heard this whole this whole monster put together you're in the studio you're listening back to it was everybody into it or was it just eh, it's going on a comp people are gonna skip it
1: we were really excited about it um I, the the last stuff that we had recorded in studio for Yvonne Dahl killed the locals I, I think we had ju- we were ju- we had just finished that stuff up um the year before maybe and like the tail end of those sessions we were you know when you get towards the end of an album similarly you can kind of start experimenting more you don't have to be as safe like you've got some songs you think are good so you can be a little weird and see if something cool happens or if you ruin your record whatever but we had gotten into that and we had been able to play some of that stuff for an audience and we're like oh they like the weird stuff this is kind of cool you never know like and and so that kind of pushed us into this realm too so we were excited but we hadn't I don't remember how long it was before we got to actually work out the live arrangement, because when you, when you work in pro tools, sometimes things are so like, you don't really have to worry about like which order you're pressing pedals in to get different sounds and stuff. So a lot of times you have to go into the rehearsal space and like figure out compromises and ways to get from point A to point B in terms of guitar sounds and who could do what and like, Hey, can you play this thing from the baseline in the recording on your guitar yeah. so that I can switch over? You know, like I remember that being a big undertaking with this song. Yeah, and and but when we actually got to play it live, we we sort of get saved by the crowd on this one. Like just when it gets to be like we're like, oh my god, I can't like I I, I, I can't <laughs> compute. I'm gonna like like got steam coming out of our ears trying to keep the tones right and changing at the right time, and then it just gets to that so to hell and then the crowd just sings over us Takes and we can over. all just kind of like oh my god okay <laughs> yeah
2: that's awesome <laughs> well the last thing I want to finish up with here I just want to tell you I, I really feel like you guys were ahead of your time I feel like you were really innovative I hear uh hints and notes Uh, of your music still today Uh, i heard it through the 2000s to even the 2010s and now in the 2020s through bands such as panic at the disco my chemical romance ice nine kills and uh, a a number of other bands i continue to hear flourishes of of what i what i consider your sound and you guys are you guys are awesome um if you could leave leave the listeners with what's going on i know we we talked a little bit at the top here but uh what's going on with you coming up or, or or the matches
1: yeah, uh and um, for me, I I still do music. Uh I do solo stuff. My solo project's called Saint Ranger. It's uh ST period space ranger. And uh you can find me on Instagram with my I have a record club called Pretend Record Club where me and my friend uh Tim Deville take turns producing each other's tracks. So if uh if you're all about and, and we and each one of them gets sent out as vinyl. So it's kind of a, a quarterly thing that we do biannually. <laughs> and then uh and uh, beyond that the matches we've written an album and uh, we're arranging it and we'll see if we ever record it gotta see what Mike Green is up to these days but um, yeah maybe <laughs> maybe new stuff or maybe we get back together and do whatever anniversary is coming up in five years you know there's always one uh,
2: I'm, I'm gonna do an online <laughs> petition to, to get a Santa cause it's a punk rock Christmas part two okay awesome. you gotta write the sequel you gotta write the sequel to this one alright <laughs> sounds good <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Chris. That was really fun.
0: Hey everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Chris to make the podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, this is Dewey Halpus, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the man to Fat Mike from NoFX and Ian MacKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. If you're looking for an inexpensive and unique gift for a friend, family member, or even for yourself, check out iloveenamelpins.com. From Hollywood stars like Jeff Goldblum and Meryl Streep to fictional characters like the Golden Girls or Jack Torrance, To sports stars and musicians and politicians and dogs and cats, there's something for everyone at iloveenamelpins.com. As an added bonus, use the discount code CHRISTAMAKES at checkout to save 30% off your order at iloveenamelpins.com.
2: As we near the end of the
3: show, here's a band you might not know.
2: Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Demakes a podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and your bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is The Thieves About from San Diego, California. They're a high energy rock band consisting of J. Scott Gavin on vocals and guitar, Brian Ullery on drums, John Reichs on guitar, and Andrew Williams on bass. Here's a snippet of their song We Go Down.
3: And I, I know the road to make it Chris & Chris
0: Oh boy, was I excited for that episode. As you know, Chris, I've been wanting to do a December is for Cynics episode forever. I'm not lying when I say it's my favorite holiday slash Christmas song ever, even though (laughs) it's kind of in a way making fun of the Christmas season. But I just think this song rocks.
2: This song is in everything that Sean said down to this producer, Mike, he got a brand new place. He moved from the Bay Area to LA. He was trying to figure out what sounds good. I mean, everything that he was talking about lended its itself and yeah, the song's just going to be on a comp if people don't like it they can skip it it it, it led to this being the monster that it is i, I took so many notes in this song uh, it, it took me forever to, to, to get through them i felt in the episode it was so much here
0: <laughs> yeah it's a monster of a song and i love the matches and i feel like my band punchline has a lot of parallels with them i recently saw their documentary called bleeding audio it's great it's awesome as you brought up In the episode, Chris, I feel like this band, this band was very popular, but I feel like they could have been even way more popular just based on, yeah, I think maybe they were a little bit ahead of their time in certain aspects. I do too. Whatever. All that stuff aside, I felt like a lot of similarities in our band's story. And much like he was saying, uh, Punchline got asked to be part of this same comp And we were like, oh, hell yeah, we saw the list of bands that were going to be on it. Oh, Blink-182's on this. Oh, all these, like, the Mighty Mighty Boss Stones are on this. This is amazing. But we got asked to be on it, but they were like, yo, you got to submit your song in, like, three days. So we wrote a song and went to a studio and recorded it, and it is the most patchwork song ever, and it's called Ice Schools. yet fans of ours love it. When we listen to it, we're kind of like, oh, my God, we threw that thing together so fast, and it's just, like, a patchwork of things, and it kind of sounds similar to what the Matches did here, although I think the Matches song is way better than ours. Well,
2: he he kind of echoed those sentiments, too, that kind of like, eh, it was just this song for a comp. It was kind of like, yeah, it was, we patched this together in this guy's new studio. And that's why I asked him. I said, when you heard it back, do you, do you like the song? He's like, oh, yeah, we still play it. The audience loves it. It's great when we get to the chorus. So I'm, gr- I'm glad he's embraced it, because at first it was just
0: like, it almost was like, wait, is this a throwaway song for these guys? How could it be? <laughs> Dude, I was laughing because i know everyone out there listening can't see you guys but the whole time sean was smiling and laughing i think he felt that he he referenced it he said i got that i missed the bus mike park energy referencing the mike park episode where mike was kind of like oh you're bringing up this worthy old song or whatever like where he felt embarrassed but like I'm thinking to myself over here, dude, I've been rocking this song out this week. <laughs> there is nothing cringy about this song at all. I feel like it rocks. I feel like... You were asking him a lot about, like, what does this mean? And when I listen to this song, I don't know if I just take away my own meaning. I do get that it's kind of parody. I picture, like, the guy in the black turtleneck and glasses who's too good for Christmas. Dude, I almost think about, you know, in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and her husband who, like, live next door and they, like, have whatever. They don't celebrate Christmas. They have, like, the black Christmas tree (laughs) or whatever. I picture those characters...
3: falls and breaks his neck. I'm sure he'll fall, but I don't think we're lucky enough to have him break his neck. Let's go. But I get it.
0: I love the verse about like, hey, you and your significant other saying, "Hey, no stupid presents this year. We're gonna listen to records and we're gonna hang out." And I just think, as me being somewhat of a Scrooge about the holidays, I just like relate to this song and and I
2: love it. Yeah, no, I don't. It's it's really interesting. I've had that a number of times. Not just Mike Park. There's there's been other times uh, on this show and when I talk to to bands on the road or or, or friends and and people I meet and just like, hey, I really like that lyric. Like, what? I you know, I wrote that in the back of my van when I was drunk one night. That's a, that's a lame lyric you know there, there's nothing to be embarrassed about in these lyrics and you know i take away kind of the literal meaning uh kind of as you did but uh at the same time i, I asked him those questions what are you saying here because i was trying to get in his mind of where who, who's the squares and the sweaters here is that you or is that them and and i i, I loved how he started to, to, to describe it It was great
0: i loved that he said i hope everybody knows this is parody <laughs> but that lyric is the heart of the song and man the matches had such a cool, I don't know, image about them and such a cool energy and vibe to their band. Uh, you know, songs aside, if you looked at the guys or saw them live, someone could have thought that like, oh, this this lead singer, of this band, he's going to be an asshole or whatever. This was the nicest, most humble dude. Oh, like yeah. when I was watching this, like I, I told him this after we finished recording, I'm like, I like i'm friends with you i want to be friends with this guy he's like the nicest dude like the complete opposite of maybe this character that he portrays somewhat in the songs or whatever it's just Not him is so humble, you know,
2: No, and and it's funny. I haven't talked to Sean in probably 13 or 14 years. And it was like we picked right back up and, uh, you know, we're back in a dressing room on tour 14 years ago. He's just uh, they were always such such great guys. And I was careful about uh, the the words I chose earlier. You know, it's you never know what's going to strike a nerve with somebody. Your band should have been bigger. But I just feel this band were so, so ahead of their time and and, uh, more people should should know about them. They're great.
0: I agree with that, but also they're a pretty popular
3: band. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, like not in, to,
0: in their time. Yeah. like they 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 did well. Absolutely, you know. So Absolutely. I think about that all the time. You know, when I am thinking about my own band or whatever, is like grass is always greener. And when it comes to that sort of thing, sure. you know, and sometimes if I am down on myself, like oh, I wish my band was bigger or whatever, I got to think about the fact that, like, oh wait a second, my band has. Uh, achieved more success than probably 99% of bands ever. Oh yeah, and, so, the, ma- and, you know, you and, and the matches
2: are in uh, in that department as well. They for sure had uh, and and seeing them live back then, uh, the the audience went crazy for them. They were rabid for them. They had a great live show, and no, they 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 made it uh, <laughs> in the sense of you. Hey hey, did your band make it? Yeah, these guys made it. But uh, I feel that uh, more people should have known about. It. I think they're they're just a, an amazing band.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I also, Chris, one more thing I want to talk about was and I think about this in songwriting too but Sean brought up thinking about hey this is going to be fun to sing live like with the audience when you're you're writing yeah. and recording something I know less than Jake has to do that right um there's been times mostly in the early
2: stuff but you know before because we were writing songs that were were taken straight from the warehouse to the stage we weren't recording them right. so it was definitely in the early days more thought of in that sense Wait, this is going to be a great
0: sing-along and no doubt this chorus in december is for cynics i haven't seen the matches play this live in person but you better believe i'm going to have chills from head to toe and be singing along so loud if i ever have the pleasure of seeing this song live and speaking
2: of chills from head to toe chris I cannot wait to announce next week's
0: guest. I am stoked. <laughs> I know you can't. I know you can't, but you got to hold off a few more days. I know <laughs> you're ready to tell the whole world about this one. I know you've been waiting for this one for a long time, but you got to keep it a secret for a few more days, Chris. I know. I'm I'm,
2: I'm like I'm like a kid at the holidays. I got to tell you, you know, last year for uh, December we had the holiday special with the Vandals. Yeah, Joe Escalante on, which was a lot of fun. And and this year, we, we, we've done two. We had uh, Sean with the matches with December is for Cynics, uh, today's episode. But next week, we have another one. We're, we're doing a two for this year, uh, Chris. Yeah, you consider next
0: week's uh, a holiday one, huh? I guess so. Kind of, you know, uh, (laughs) the
2: the the tail end of the episode, we're going to get into it. But uh, yeah, man, it's just been it's been a lot of fun. I can't believe we're about to wrap up another year, uh, going on two years now. Next June of 2022, it'll be two years of this uh, podcast. I don't know where the time has went,
0: but it's been uh, an absolute blast. You have been doing a great job as host of this podcast, Chris. Because I got to say that I know it's not easy to get on the podcast. Okay, maybe it's a little easier when it's somebody you've known for a long time. It's your friend and it's not so hard. But when you get on here with someone you don't know and you instantly have to break the ice and then dive into some piece of art that they've created from their heart and really like get into the nuts and bolts of it, that takes a lot, man. Not everyone can do that. So I commend you very highly for that. Well, I appreciate this, Chris. Your checks in the mail. Um, <laughs> I,
2: I, to be honest with you, I've only had out of all these episodes we've done in the last year and a half, there's only been maybe one or two hiccups where it's been a little weird, and that's to be expected. You know, just because uh, guys are in bands or you know people are in bands, that are are the front people a lot of the time that I talk to. They're not always the uh, alpha male or female. Sometimes they just are, are awkward and it's hard to talk to, to people. Luckily for me, most people have been very engaging and easy, but there has been a couple hiccups, but uh, I'm glad there hasn't been, been any more than that.
0: Yeah, but uh, I like what we're doing. I'm glad we're going to keep on doing it into the new year and, and onward and upward, and I'm excited for what we have coming in the new year too, man. But hey, I'm focusing on the moment now. We are in the thick of the season. Tis the season, man. Tis the season. We hope each and every one of you out there are
2: safe, happy, and most importantly, sane this time of the year. We'll see you next week. I want to thank this week's guest, Mr. Sean Harris from The Matches.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do
1: when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?